Thanks for tuning in. This is Everything Under the Sun, brought to you by the youth leadership at Door Church. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to the second episode ever of Vision AO Podcast, Everything Under the Sun. Um, and we're happy that you're with us. Just kind of want to dispel a myth before it even starts. We are not equating COVID-19 with the 10th plague in Exodus. I'll repeat, we are not equating COVID-19 with the 10th plague in the book of Exodus. That's for all the vision kids. So don't get it twisted, all right? So let's bring you up to speed as to where we're going to be. We're going into Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to pick up at the end of the book. But before that happened, there was actually 430 years of slavery that the, the Egyptians had the Hebrews enslaved for 430 years. So Joseph was sold into slavery into Egypt. He uh, rose to be prime minister and uh, he died. And then the Bible says a Pharaoh came up that did not know Joseph and he actually enslaved Joseph's family because they're becoming too big and too strong. And so that lasted for 430 years. Um, there was a young boy that was born in, uh, in the middle of an edict that said all Hebrew boys must be uh, murdered. Um, his mother saved him by putting him in a basket and putting him down the Nile River. You know the story. He's drawn out of the river by Pharaoh's daughter, and his name is Moshi, which means to be drawn out. He's raised in Pharaoh's house, uh, becomes 40 years old, uh, manages to kill an Egyptian through a, a botched uh, attempt to, to help one of his people. He's driven out into the desert, lives in Midian for another 40 years, where he happens upon a bush that is not burning but is on fire and happens to be inhabited by God. So he then is commissioned to free his people, and he comes back to Egypt to find his people enslaved. Um, he tells Pharaoh the famous words, let my people go. And Pharaoh says the famous words, no. And this happens about nine times. Um, my mom was famous for that one. Yeah. It happens nine times. And so this is where we pick up the story. After the ninth time, God is saying, um, yeah, we're not doing this anymore. And he drops the 10th plague. So we're coming up on the 10th plague. And the reason why we're talking about this at this time is because there's a lot of crazy things that can happen in the world. And sometimes all you can do is sit back, sit in your house and wait for God to deliver you, wait for God to do something about it. Uh, the book of Isaiah specifically says, hey, there's going to come a time where you're going to lock yourself in your rooms and wait for the hand of the Lord. Um, and this is some, these are some times that we're living in. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 12. Um, Jared, if you want to pick it up from there. Yeah, so we're going to start off with uh, Exodus 12, 21 through 28. And it reads, then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick up and take lambs for yourself according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb, that you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of his door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through uh, to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give to you, just as he promised, that, he sh uh, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say, 
What do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So the big thing I got when I read that portion of scripture, um, just very high level, is this is Israel's, as a people, their first collective step of obedience to instructions from God. He's doing something miraculous in their midst, and he says, look, I'm going to give you some instructions. I want you to obey them, and nobody in your family is going to get hurt. The firstborns are not going to die. And so to me, it's kind of like this first test because they're about to go into the promised land. Hmm. And God's yeah. going to be asking them to do a lot of things. Right. You're going to walk around the walls of Jericho. It's not going to make any sense. Can you do it? Mm-hmm. Can you do this thing? And also, the firstborns are the only ones who would have died in this situation. So it wasn't going to affect everybody if you disobeyed, but it could affect someone you love. You know, when you think about the correlation to today, you know, governments are not God. Right. But there you see this disobedience from people where it's like governments are pleading with people to stay in their houses. Yeah. And people are on the beach in California. <laughs> you know, it's not a one to one situation, but you see this. God wants to see if these people will obey the thing he told them to do. Hmm. Very good. One of the things that I, that I really see here, too, is that this is the very first time that God addresses Israel as a nation hmm. instead of a family. Wow. Because it was a family, and then it was a family, and then it was a family that was a bigger family, and now it's a nation. So this is God actually growing and developing these people beyond the limits of just these familial bonds and into a social fabric that's going to be bound by laws and obedience to laws because Israel was never led by a king initially. They were led by laws. Yeah, that's good. And that specific word, an ordinance. Yes. This is going to be an ordinance, a decree yeah. that mm-hmm. you're going to carry forward into the future. So exactly. he's laying this first step out for them that they're going to be having to follow a lot more of these in the future as you yeah. know, Leviticus, Deuteronomy come along. Yeah. It's interesting that he tells them, I want you... Uh, you know, to us, it's, it's kind of old hat. But at that point, he said, I want you to kill a lamb. And, mm-hmm. and in that context, in that culture, that's total abomination. The, the Egyptians believed in a god who was actually pretty high in their pantheon. His name was Amun. And so Amun uh, took the form of a, of a lamb. And so they would, uh, they treated sheep as sacred. So they wouldn't herd sheep and they wouldn't kill sheep. So here's the, the Hebrew slaves taking sheep and roasting them and letting the smell, someone wrote, let the smell waft out of their houses. So outside of Goshen, there was a smell of just roasted lamb wafting through Egypt as these slaves are, are, are eating this abomination. And the Egyptians are probably wondering, hey, what, you know, what, what exactly is going on here? But, um, you know, I, I don't think it, it's just a, a tradition that, that God put in place at that point. Because if you read in Revelation 13, 8, said, everyone living on the earth will worship except those names uh, th- that were written in the book of life belonging to the lamb slaughtered before the world was founded. Yeah. So uh, this was almost like a setup. This was like a huge sting operation where 
uh, you know, God had something in place for a long time before this even dropped. Mm. What about, what do you guys think about the, the blood on the doorpost? Like what, obviously to our minds in the West, our minds as Christians, I mean, it's, it's obvious, but can anybody draw out any, any truths or correlations as far as blood on the doorpost? The, the interesting thing that I saw in, in the blood on the doorpost, right, is the way God says to apply it. Because when you look at like the old movie, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, right, they dip the, the, um, the skin of the lamb in the blood and then they wipe it on the lintel, which is the top part, and then they wipe it down the doorpost. And that's the way you see it a lot of times. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, take a bunch of hyssop, Very which are good. reeds, yeah. and dip them in. They're like sponges on sticks, right? Dip them in the blood and then strike the doorposts. And that word strike is the same word that God uses, strike the Egyptians, strike the firstborn, right? This is a violent word. So to strike the lintel means you're going to stand at the door with the door closed, and you're going to smack the top of the door with the those hyssop with that blood. Then you're going to dip it in the blood again, and you're going to smack one doorpost. Then you're going to dip it in the blood and smack the next doorpost. Now, blood's going to be flying off that hyssop when you're swinging it. So what you're seeing when the, the final image is, is presented is the blood of a lamb in the form of a cross is what's going to ward off the destroyer. Mm. John 19.9. Now there was a a set vessel full of vinegar and they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So as Jesus is dying on the cross, they offer him a hyssop stick full of wine and vinegar Mm. as the lamb is dying. So there's these correlations um, from from Pashat to the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's screaming, screaming. So... uh, Well, I mean, something that comes to mind is... I mean, it's kind of... I wouldn't say self-explanatory, but it can be gathered pretty quick. But just the blood of the lamb is what saved these people. Right. Yes. Just like in our own lives, the blood of the lamb is what saves us from the coming judgment. Yes. There was a, I got a phone call last night. I was about to turn in and um, phone call brother in the church. Um, he'll remain nameless. His name's Joe Costello. And he called me at 1030 at night. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, he didn't, he didn't want to talk about the Raiders. Thank God. But, uh, but what he did talk about, you know what he said? What? He said, you know what we have to pray is the blood on the doorpost. Yeah. And I it. said, what did you yeah. say, man? And he's like, no, we're going to, we have to think about the blood on the doorpost. And I said, that's what we're going to talk about in, in our podcast tomorrow. And he's like, oh, really? So we started talking about it, but it's like, it's something that's on people's hearts, something on people's minds. It's, it's the blood of Jesus. And if you're listening to us, you know what I'm talking about. It's the blood of Jesus that will set you free. It's the blood of Jesus yeah. that yeah. will protect you. Yeah. It's the blood of Jesus that makes us free from sin. And it started there on Passover. So let's go to verse... Uh, uh, 29 through 36. At, midli- at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flock and your herd as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. 
The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulder. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they, so that they let them have what they had asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Wow. So um, some things when I was reading this, uh, one thing that I really thought about was, you know, God doesn't discriminate when it comes to his judgment. Hmm. It talks about Pharaoh's house being touched, his firstborn dying, and it talks about the person in the dungeon and their firstborn dying. So um, in the last days when when God's going to come and judge his people, it doesn't matter about social status. It doesn't matter how good of a person you've been. God's still going to judge according to what he said. Yeah. And that being that if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that's the that's the cold hard facts about that. Um, and then also, it was kind of interesting that Pharaoh wouldn't let go um, of God's firstborn being Israel. I mean, that's mm. God's child. And Pharaoh would not let go of Israel. And it took God killing Pharaoh's firstborn for him to finally say, all right, God, you're, you're better than I am, wow. <laughs> essentially. And when he was exiting, uh, when he was telling Moses and Aaron to just get out of here, he also said, but also bless me also, because he realized at that point that God was bigger than he was. Yes. Mm, yeah. Really yeah. What jumps out at me is, uh, like you said, the firstborn thing. Like, so who was... Jump forward to the cross. Who was Joseph and Mary's firstborn? Jesus. Yeah. Who is God, the creator's firstborn? Jesus. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is the lamb in the Passover, and Jesus is the lamb at the crucifixion. But Jesus is also the Egyptian at the crucifixion because he takes on the punishment of the Egyptians at the cross. Yeah. The firstborn is slain at the cross. In the beginning was the word, and the word is with God, and the word was... No. Yeah. He is the yeah. firstborn. And he dies at that place. And so God is, is drawing a full circle between the Passover and the cross. Another thing that jumped out at me is God's judgment's undeniable. Mm. Like, so the nine plagues, someone wrote that they could actually be explained away naturally. Like, so the Nile flows from the south to the north. So from Sudan and Ethiopia into Egypt. Mm. And you can explain that the soil in Sudan and Ethiopia is actually red. So if the red clay of these lower countries chokes up the Nile, kills the fish, kills all these things, and, and it, it turns it to blood, right? So the frogs will jump out. The frogs will get out of the Nile. That's a second play, right? Then we have the lice and the flies. Well, that's dead frogs. Then you keep moving, you keep going through it, and it, there's all these natural explanations for this phenomena, except number 10. Yeah. Number 10 is God's like, okay, I've just been kind of messing with all y'all right now. Now, boom, drop the hammer. No one yeah. in God's judgment, no one's going to be like, hey, did we just get whacked by God? Did God just really do that? To, there's, it's undeniable. Yes. Another thing that's undeniable is God's favor. So these people lose their firstborn sons, their firstborn animals, and then they're turning around and like giving their Apple watches to these slaves who are bouncing, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Like that's yeah. undeniable favor. You can't say, hey, that's just that was a freak accident. That's something that God does. So even in these times, as you look around, um, I know it's not cool to look for the hand of God, but look for the hand of God. 
Yeah. Like, where is God in all of this? Where is God in your life? What's happening? You know, you can watch the news as a Christian and be like, hey, I'm not afraid because, you know, I think I see God in some of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because you're seeing people from different social stratas, man. You're seeing rich people. You're seeing famous people. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Prove me wrong. One of the most interesting things that I took out of that was just the humility. If you read, like, you know, Pharaoh's, like, words and his actions, he's always trying to either explain something away or, like, take supremacy. Mm, And God humbles him to Mm. a point where he's like, I have no other alternative but to concede and on the way out, like, I understand that I am a, just a man, which in, like, their culture, like, I mean, he's he's a divinity right. amongst right. his people. Right. So it's it kind of reminds me of, like, yeah. in, like, negotiations at the end of the World War, you know, the United States, we drop this horrific, horrific piece of technology upon a city. And they had to say, you know what, the emperor has to concede. Yes, he has to concede, mm-hmm. and I mean, it was it was a huge affront, but it was because of just all of this, all of the culture and how it was all wrapped, and it was total warfare. They had to, he had to concede, and with that, he like, and many people thought that it was him just declaring that he was not divinity. The emperor was not divinity, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. something that was very very powerful. And so you look back at what happened to Egyptian culture, and it was the same thing when he was humbled and he was saying, you know what, I've made all these public decrees that like you cannot go and like we're going to make things even harder for you and like my musicians my musicians magicians can do these things that you're trying to do yeah. but when this happened he was completely broken and in a lot of ways it reminds me of just my own life um and just like what it took for me to humble myself and be like you know what god you are god and yeah. i am man and i am not in control and that that moment in my life was the point where I surrendered to God and was just like, God, like, I'm filled with sin. I'm filled with pride. I'm filled with all these things. Can you change me? Because it came through that humility. So that's it reminded me of almost like a conversion in a, in a way where the world will humble you. I think it's interesting that you bring up two things. Number one, the magicians. And number two, conversion. Okay. Because this is Pharaoh's first moment of true honesty. Right. Okay. If you look at, you talk to any person in a group of friends, right? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. And they kind of look at their friends. Their friends are like, hey, man, I heard about this. Yeah. We heard about this. You know, it's like you kind of default off your friends. Pharaoh was defaulting off of the magicians. Hmm. He, he didn't speak for himself. He spoke through them. Yeah. He was like, oh, they can do this. Why should I listen to you? So he had. No moment of honesty with Moses, no moment of honesty with God until this moment where you see that he doesn't reach out to the magicians at all. He comes directly to Moses and says, go pray and bless me. And this is this moment of humility and honesty and conversion because he has abandoned all of the voices that were speaking into him. And it's just him and God. Yeah. God kind of showed him. And this is what's crazy is that. God showed him that he has that ultimate power of life and death. Yeah. Because in Egyptian culture, pharaohs were gods, deities in a sense. So God said, oh, I can kill one of pharaohs own. And they go, whoa. Yeah, I can touch you. Egyptian people are like, 
wait, Pharaoh's not a deity at this moment. And then also Osiris, who's the god of life within the Egyptian culture, right. they, he goes and shows, Osiris didn't do this, God did this. Right. Yes. Because so. Osiris was blotted out a couple plagues ago. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Nile, which was the life giver as well, mm -hmm. um, uh, was you know turned to blood. Like God totally judged the heavens in Egypt. And he said, yeah. he, he called his shot, and then he drops the mic. Yeah. And then he's like, get out. Right? Yeah, he upended the entire pantheon. Right. So it, 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 they had no, no choice. Sorry. No, no, you're good. Um, so one thing that I really, I had to mention this, but it's crazy is that when you talk about firstborn, I mean, I don't have any kids yet. Um, eventually, we're working on it. <laughs> uh, you heard it here first. Yeah. They're working on it. Practice makes perfect. PG podcast. Yeah, yeah. There you Jeez, go. come on, man. Come on. <laughs> but anyways, when you when you see a firstborn, uh, Phil probably is the most new to this right now, but you have yeah. that potential. Like, oh, he's going to carry or she's going to carry on the family, you know, just heritage. And, and you have all these plans, not only for their life, but how it's going to impact your life. Uh, but when God takes that away from Pharaoh, he's saying, hey, your mortal plans, your mortal, you know, what's going to happen, that doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't fit in my plan. And so that's what I think really humbled Pharaoh was that wow. that firstborn, his, his plans, his things, his mortal things that he was trying to attain were just kind of ripped from him. And that's where you left him. And, and Pharaoh was just sitting there like, I'm nobody. Go. Bless me while you're on the way out, you know? Right. Yeah. I think one last thing and just how we're kind of uh, tying this into Revelation and just, the, you know, the Exodus. When you're saying all about this humbling of Pharaoh, you know, it's just it brings it back to that Revelation. Every knee shall bow every tongue shall yeah. confess on that final day. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if they thought you were a de deity or a great man or a horrible person, every knee will bow. Yeah. Yeah, every tongue good. will confess that Jesus yeah. Christ is Lord. And that, you know, our hope is in Christ, right? And mm -hmm. so it's like, man, if you don't have hope in Christ, like you're going to bow and confess that at the end of the day. Yeah. But I want to be on the right side. I want to be under the yeah, blood of the exactly. lamb. You know? Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Just pull altar call right now and start playing. <laughs> Go ahead, Phil. All right, so we're going to pick up here in verse 37. Uh, then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. And a mixed multitude went up with them. Also, and flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock. Livestock, And they baked unleavened cakes of dough, which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. Now the so sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years, and it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out of the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out to the, of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. Um, one of the first things that kind of that really, really just struck a chord with me um, is at the beginning of Exodus, you've got like just like constant, constant just story development, all these crazy things. And then going into the first part of the scripture where they're setting up this final plague and then the plague happens and Pharaoh lets them go. And then the first line in this passage of scripture is they journey from one place to, the, to another. 
but that's not the end of their journey. Yeah. It's just the beginning. It's just mm. this small portion. And so I like did some research online to see kind of where that is. And there's a little bit of disagreement among scholars. Obviously. It must be Tuesday. But yeah, 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 exactly. But the the thing about it is that this this is not like they are going from Pharaoh to the promised land. Yes. Like this is a starting point. Yeah. 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 And the thing about it is like they're going just, I mean, most of the scholars agree. It's not like, it's not even like far away from where they were. And this big, huge, huge crew of people, almost a million strong with cattle and livestock and everything like that are moving from just one spot to another. And the Bible documents this. And it, for me, I thought, I thought of man, this right here is just a time of transition for these mm-hmm. people. Yes. They've just been in slavery. They've just been living 430 years under slavery. And then all of a sudden, like they're set free and they have all of this additional freedom and all these additional opportunities in front of them. And they have, I mean, they're just moving to this one spot, one little spot, but it's not their final destination. And for me, I'm thinking there's so much uncertainty for the children of Israel at this point. Like you look later yeah, on in yeah. Exodus and like they're, they're guided by pillows of fire and like all this is mentioned, <laughs> but it has not been mentioned yet. Yeah. And they're just journeying from one spot to the next. And like, I don't know, it struck a chord with me because I, so many times in people's life we'll go through things and then we'll hit a plateau or a spot where we've been prepared for this moment, but there's kind of a lull. You know, where you're locked in your house and like, you know, all kinds of crazy things are going on, but it's just a lull and you're in this transition phase where like you think nothing's going on. We're not at our final destination spot. And I've seen this over and over again, just talking with people and being in ministry is that sometimes transition times can be some of the most dangerous times. Yes. And I'm just thinking about in the context of this scripture, like think about what comes next. You guys know what comes next. Like Pharaoh changes his mind and he like sends them (laughs) out, sends his armies after them, (laughs) you know, like, uh, sorry if I just like spoiled the plot there Uh, for the next Spoiler alert. Yeah. 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 But like in this time of transition, like they are so vulnerable and they have to trust and rely on God. Yeah. And they have to use the references of all the supernatural things they've seen in the past as their confidence when they move forward. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's the same same thing with me. I have reference points in my life when I'm in times of uncertainty that I look back on. And our pastor, Pastor Smith, just kind of touched on that a little bit. It's there's moments in your life that are like altars and pillars that you know that God touched you and changed you. And it's in these transition times, things like God sparing all the firstborns, but like unfortunately killing all the Egyptians firstborns. When you look at that, you're like, God saved me by his grace. And because of that, I can enter this time of uncertainty in the desert and be confident knowing that God's got my back. Well, mm. something interesting is when you say, like, right off the bat, they just, God just saved them. Yeah. And they don't go very far. Yeah. <laughs> that go that thing's in my mind of, you know, when you initially get saved, it's those baby steps. Like, yeah. the, the small steps. You're not going to travel to a faraway country right away. For one, they're not used to it. They're a large <laughs> people. And they don't know or they don't know how to. I mean, being in the wilderness for 40 years, they probably learned pretty well. But yeah, yeah. just 
that initial baby step. And that's what I tell anybody that, you know, is just freshly saved. You know, they just gave their heart to God. I'm just like, you don't need to make these sweeping changes. Just it's, it's, it's little battles, little battles. And then finally you look back and, and you, you won a, a large battle. And then at the end of the day, when, you know, we go up to heaven, we won the war and it's already written. We won, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, you, yeah. if you serve God and, and you're a follower of God, we won. We already know it, but it's just getting through those small battles. Yeah. So you're saying they went from Sukkoth to not Sukkoth, and that was a victory, right? So Sukkoth, it meant tent city. It was like where the Bedouins and the non-Egyptians lived and yeah. the slaves. Mm. So that's where they lived. And all of a sudden, this tent city picks up and leaves. And then we go, like I was telling you guys beforehand, the only thing crazier than Exodus chapter 12 is Exodus chapter 13, because Pharaoh literally backslides into the Red Sea, right? Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's yes. the end of that, Cecil yeah. B. DeMille. Um, but it's, you know, what the vibe to this is sudden, like, yeah. shout out Vision, hey, last sermon, suddenly, the Bible says suddenly 41 times. Hmm. Just like that, from one night to the next. We were slaves for 430 years, and boom, we're not slaves anymore. Yeah. yeah. Jesus said, he who sins is a slave to sin, right? And then, boom, it is finished, done. Thousands yeah. of years of human bondage to sin, done, just like that. Yeah. That's the deliverance of God. It's suddenly, it's one night to the next. One day you live in Sukkoth. The next day, you're marching to who knows where, but all you know is, I used to be like that, but I'm not like that anymore. I'm totally different. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, mm, that's good. So uh, there are a couple of things that I noticed in, in this particular section. But in order to really talk about them, I've got to back up a little bit, if that's all right. Sure, sure. All right, let's back up a little bit to, to Genesis chapter 15. Oh, whoa. Oh, whoa. <laughs> because in Genesis chapter 15, before Israel's even a family yet, okay, when, when all of the nation of Israel is a married couple, right? Before they're a family. <laughs> yeah. God tells Abraham, I'm going to take your, your family and I'm going to make them slaves for 430 years. And then I'm going to bring them out and I'm going to take them to this land and they're going to have much possessions. Then Phil reads, right? The time of their slavery was 430 years. 430 years was the time of their slavery. It says it twice. Then it says 430 years on that very day. day. Yeah. On that day. So if we can trust God when he prophesies to Abraham that four generations later, a people are going to be moved to a location and have favor and grow into a nation, yeah. right? If we can trust God that 430 years later, on that day that he is going to pull them out of Egypt, then we can trust God when he prophesies Jesus' return. Yeah. We can yeah. trust God yeah. when he prophesies the end of days. Wow. We can trust the yeah. prophecies mm. that have not happened yet because the prophecies that he has already accomplished happened on that day. And then the second thing I really see is that God has brought this, this ragaband, you know, ragabash little group of, of, of thugs and slaves 
out of their little tent city, right? And he marches them like 40 miles and then declares them the armies of God. Funny how that happened. They went from slave to an army, though, <laughs> like in a couple of scriptures. There's, there's yeah. zero biblical like evidence that they even have weapons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so, they've got gold, they've got money, they've got livestock, but they have like there's no evidence they're bread. even armed. <laughs> yeah. They're an army. I know army recruiters who. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that's a that's a that's a great observation. Um, so you think about what has been said. So the Passover, then you go to the cross. So how does this tie into like now? How does this tie into the future? How does does the Passover have anything to do with what Christians refer to as the end times or end of days? Like, where do we see any dots connected in that? Well, I, th I think I was just thinking about the um, I was kind of reading up on the unleavened bread. And it's like it, they they had to make haste because they they had to be prepared yeah. to go. And even in later in the scripture, it talks about you will eat this with a belt and a tunic and ready to go. And yeah. how like. How much is that like when the second coming, hmm. like yeah. the, Jesus gives the parable of the 10 virgins and the people who are ready yeah. for God and who are looking up to see his coming. Hmm. And so it's like, it's that preparedness of like, God is taking me somewhere and I have to be ready to go. And that's something I think I've always strived for in my life. Cause you know, you, you hear about it, Jesus is coming back and we know that, but my heart being prepared to meet him one day and being yeah. ready to go. Yeah. And we're seeing that in this people. They're being brought out of the land and they're like, God, we are ready to go. Yeah. We are ready to go into the next thing you've called us into. Yeah. So. yeah. So, so you're to kind of tie together what you said in the beginning, what you're saying now is God is looking for a people who's looking for him, who's looking to get out of here. And that's, <laughs> that's, uh, you know, that's the people he's coming for. Yeah. Like everybody else, he, kind of you know let slide but but they're uh he's looking for those people uh, i'll read let me read something uh if you've you know allow me to to read something that's you know seems boring but ed stetzer he wrote this <laughs> the lord's supper is not only a commemorative ritual looking back at our recreation but it's also an act of expectation as we look forward to our consummation hmm. at a moment's notice the church's exodus will be complete one day God's people will gather around another table to celebrate once and for all the entrance into the true and greater promised land. All that has uh, of this purchased by Christ, the Passover lamb, the atonement of Christ is both bloody and beautiful. Yeah. Wow. So the, the marriage supper of the lamb, and that's going to happen after Christ comes back for his church, after all these crazy, crazy things happen, and we're going to sit down with Christ himself and have a meal together not eating the lamb not sacrificing the lamb but with the lamb himself <laughs> and that's what we're looking forward to that's why we do these podcasts that's why yeah. we tell our friends hey listen to this podcast these you know dudes are talking about stuff whatever they might be funny they might not but the, the point is this that one day jesus christ is coming back right um we see these things happening now okay covid19 i think covid19 is chips and salsa like there is it's nothing compared to what's going to happen. And if yeah. you don't believe with what I'm saying, read the Gospels, read the book of Revelation, read the Bible, please. Read the Bible, prove me wrong, <laughs> yeah. right? 
Jesus Christ is coming back. He said, when you see all these things come to pass, mm. look up your redemption yeah. draweth nigh. Yes. So the lamb yes. is coming. The lamb is coming back for his church and the lamb is going to bring his church to a, a dinner in the sky and say, look, this is over. We're done. Yeah. And he points all of us back to book of Exodus chapter 12. So if you're listening to me and uh, you, you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Like when you think about like the end of the world and stuff, or you know, I tell you something, the end of the world happens for somebody every day. Like now, now, yeah. now, now, now. So the end of the world's happening for every, a lot of people every day. And we're not promised tomorrow. So if you can hear me and you're saying, you know what? I want Jesus. I want that blood on the doorpost of my life. When things go down, I want God to see that, the blood of the lamb on my life. I want you to say this to me. Say, Jesus Please forgive me of my sin. I'm sorry for what I've done. Please cover me in your blood. And I accept your sacrifice. In the name of Jesus, amen. So hopefully if uh, we're not, uh, your plans don't change, we'll have another episode next week. We'll see how it goes. Thanks for hanging out with us. Eddie, JR, Phil, Corey. All right, good night. Thanks for listening. Let us know what you liked about the episode and what you'd like to hear in future recordings. We'll see you next time. God bless.